Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and in this episode of Chick Flicks, we're talking about the movies American Psycho and Gone Girl. But first, let's catch up. First, I just want to say we have to be completely honest and transparent. Transparent. <laughs> transparent. <laughs> transparent with our listeners and just let them know that we just aired, we just got into a mini fight about. <laughs> I didn't finish reading a book that Mackenzie sent me. So. And she said it was bad. So. I'm going to finish it though and it's, reevaluate. This, if this episode is tense, that's why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. And. Um, and. <laughs> Bridget was like you have to watch Fleabag and well, I was like I will you and did. then I watched all of it you would have watched it anyway though right I would have watched it anyway there you it's go it's really good but I think we're both enjoying Fleabag season two this week things yeah. that I love about it Phoebe Waller-Bridge's height her hair her jumpsuits how funny she is how good mm-hmm. she's looking at the camera mm-hmm. how good she is at mm-hmm. looking at the camera and the hot priest like six things yeah it's like the best writing she's so good she's so good she's She's, so smart she's so smart and um it made me think about um we talked about this i think a few episodes ago like what is the female gaze and like how would you put the female gaze on screen or if it's like kind of a stupid thing to get into even because it's like kind of creating this like gender essentialism in cinema but i will say there is something totally unique about fleabag where uh season two features this romance between Fleabag and a priest. And I was trying to describe to my sisters, I was like, the hot priest is so hot. And my older sister, Julia Googled him and was like, Oh no, he's not. He has, you know, like no chin. And I was like, it's all the context of the character of the relationship, you know, <laughs> like it's nothing I to agree, do with how 100%. he looks. It's all and how she like writes it. That's how I am attracted to people in real life too. Like yes. it's not, I like, I don't have a type you know, exactly, exactly. I just am like attracted to like how I like lock eyes with someone. Exactly. <laughs> Which I also feel like is pretty Scorpio to me, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so cannot recommend Fleabag season two enough. I yeah. loved it. Very good. Um, also Fleabag season one. Just season like one, also the whole, good. The whole also, show. Ev- everything she does. She's, yeah. you know, she's going to punch up the uh, James Bond script. Oh. She's the script doctor on the next one. Isn't that like, amazing? Thank God. Oh. Wow, 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 wow. She should be James Bond. Wow. There's an idea. <laughs> yeah. Come she on, was Hollywood. Like at boot camp in the Fleabag season two. She was like doing. That's true. Jumps and stuff. and She's ready. Give yeah, her a she suit. Could do it. Give her yeah. a gun. Oh, wow. She would rock a suit. Oh, my God. Yeah, she would look amazing oh. with her cool hair. Um, I also want to plug the new Carly Rae Jepsen album, Dedicated. It's amazing. It's not as good as Emotion. The bar was so high. I agree. But um, I particularly like the track, Want You In My Room. I was going to send it to you because it kind of reminded me of Teen Witch. It just has this real, like, frenetic 80s teen movie vibe. I've listened to the whole album, so I probably, like, I don't know it off the top of my head, but Mm -hmm. if I listened to it, I would know. She, like, goes like, hey, at one point. So (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah. Nice. Mackenzie, what else are you into this week? I also watched Tuca and Birdie. Um, it's so good. It's so funny. Will Bridget listen to my recommendation? Who knows? I she will doesn't... watch <laughs> Tuca and Birdie. First of all, it's something I would have already watched. But I, 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 I did listen to your recommendation, too. I read a chapter. 
Um, but Tuca and Birdie is this animated show on Netflix created by illustrator Lisa Honowell, I think is her name, mm-hmm. and uh, starring oh. Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong. And it's so funny and so smart and a lot of people are saying it's like broad city but animated and like i can definitely see that but i think it's even better wow okay um and i there's like a fight that so birdie has a boyfriend named speckles and her and speckles have a fight that is like literally a fight me and ian have had that like word for word i was like also a bird yeah yeah most people species uh, mo- well, most people are birds, but there's also plant people, dog people, regular humans, like cats, mice, snakes, lizards. Most people are birds, though. That's cool. Yeah. I have to watch it. It's yeah. next. You would really like it. It's And it also, like, I cried also. So it has, like, it goes t- to dark places as well. I cried Fleabag season two. I did The sister not, relationship but... really got me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, and I also watched uh, Rami, which is um, another like incredibly smart and well-written show on Hulu. Um, and I don't know the names of anyone who made it. My bad. I did not prepare for this shout out, but That's it's okay. very good. You should, everyone should watch it. It's like about a Muslim man in Jersey City who he's I think he's like 29 um and just about like his family and he and his like faith and he's like kind of wanting to like get more into his faith um but like what that means in like a modern world for him really and like everyone's expectations but it does a really good job on on like going it's not just like his perspective it also has an episode with his mom an episode with Love his it. sister and like um like there's an episode uh about uh, 9-11 from the perspective of when he was like 12 or something because wow. he was like in middle school when it happened and it's I, it's like he the episode is about him like trying to learn how to jerk off <laughs> and 9-11 <laughs> so i guess that's like a good kind of like it's super funny I feel like all the best comedies are dark these days. True. Um, and smart, which I feel like they have to go hand in hand if you're doing a dark comedy. It has also has to be smart. Um, mm-hmm. But it does... I don't know. You just care about everyone in the show so much. So, highly recommend. I'll check that out, too. I have a lot of good TV to catch up on. Now that Game of Thrones is over and I can resume my life. <laughs> <laughs> um... And before we start talking about the movies, we wanted to uh, list a few organizations that, um, like grassroots organizations that assist people with abortions because we're extremely disturbed and Mm -hmm. uh, scared about what's happening in in our country. So, Mm -hmm. um, Bridget, do you want to give a shout out to the one that you volunteer at? I volunteer at this amazing organization uh, down here in Houston called Clinic Access Support Network. Um, and it's a really uniquely amazing uh, nonprofit where it's a network of activists 
who um, help people get to their abortion appointments and also help them get long-term birth control um, and uh, child care. Uh, you know, it's, it's really amazing and comprehensive, all the different ways uh, clinic access support network like can impact someone's life. Uh, primarily, it's a fleet of drivers who help people in the sprawling city of Houston um, become able to access, you know, like this fundamental right, which is, you know, a healthcare issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so their website is clinicaccess.org uh, and they can always use donations for gas money for volunteers, for long-term birth control, for, you know, um, uh, there's so many different things they could use, uh, you know, your donation for. And they're really, really incredible. And I can't say enough high, nice things about them. Great. And we'll also link to all these yeah. um, on our on website. Twitter, on Instagram. everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Because we really do want people to donate. Um, mm-hmm. And so a few that I'm going to list off now, I'm getting off of a cut article that kind of condenses them for us. But um, there's Access Reproductive Care Southeast. It's a volunteer organization that helps families in 12 states across the Southeast uh, access reproductive care. The National Network of Abortion Funds is a network of more than 80 funds in at least 38 states that seeks to eliminate economic barriers for low-income individuals seeking an abortion. The Yellowhammer Fund is based in Alabama, and it not only helps uh, provide funding for abortions at one of the city's three clinics, but also helps uh, with other barriers to uh, access patients may face, such as travel or lodging. And it's a part of the National Network of Abortion Funds, but it's since it's based in Alabama, which is one of the states where abortion has recently been under attack, it's uh, super important. Um, The Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund is run entirely by volunteers, um, and it helps people access abortion and provides both support and resources to parents. Women Have Options is an Ohio-based, another state um, that's... uh, been restricting abortion uh, access. <clears throat> it, it provides financial assistance and support to low-income patients seeking re- reproductive care, abortion included. Um, National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum is a multi-issue community organizing and policy advocacy organization that fights for policy changes that would benefit women, transgender, and non-binary non-binary Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And the last one we'll mention is Gateway Women's Access Fund based in Missouri. Gateway provides both educational and financial support to people in the state who can't afford the full cost of an abortion. Um, So if you want to, we'll link to this. And if if there's like a state where you have family or you're feeling Mm -hmm. specifically like drawn to one of these causes or want to donate a little bit to all of them or just any uh, uh, the littlest bit counts and Mm -hmm. um we it's really important so yep and don't forget to vote yeah uh what a fun segue into american psycho Adapted from a Brett Easton Ellis novel of the same name, American Psycho is the story of Patrick Bateman, a young businessman who likes murders and executions. Patrick spends his days evaluating pop music, comparing business cards with his co-workers, making dinner reservations, and murdering young women. Played with an eerie, friendly detachment by Christian Bale, Bateman isn't all that different from the other young men he socializes with. 
bloodlust aside. As his crimes escalate, Patrick becomes increasingly immune to repercussions, and he seems destined to continue on this path of success and wealth. Perhaps one day, he'll end up in the White House. <laughs> Did you catch all the Trump references? Yeah. He was, like, well, low-key obsessed with Trump. Oh, really? Wait. I feel- oh, yeah, because, like, Ivana and everything. Yeah. I thought you meant you'd in, be your, like, in, in your reading. I was like, in this little paragraph? No, I didn't catch <laughs> You know, when I said bloodlust, it yeah. was... I was like, that was probably one. <laughs> Well, no, I do think he is, like, a lot like Trump, you know? Like, he's this guy who's, like, doesn't do shit, you know, like, yeah. doesn't work at all. Yeah. Um, you know, he has the same haircut. Oh, my God, you're right. I So, can I just say that rewatching this post-Queer Eye was extremely difficult for me because he's, like, a clone of my biggest celebrity crush, Anthony Porowski. Mackenzie, when you were introducing the abortion uh, fund discussion, mm-hmm. I was smi- Maybe you saw me weirdly smiling and it was because I had read your note about how Christian Bale looks like Anthony from Queer Eye. Doesn't he? Like, yeah, oh, for sure. I mean... They're like the exact scene. They're like a... The, cl- they, they're they are, they should, they doppelgangers. Gotta, they, yeah. Well, Anthony has on his Instagram because I've looked at a picture with picture. Him? No, but he has a picture of him like dre- himself dressed as the american psycho guy oh my god i'm pretty well, sure n- not to be very controversial but i think he might be a, a sociopath <laughs> i mean it makes sense Anthony. Well, no like, have you watched the second season yes where he's working it, out though in like episode three that made me has, feel like he's not he has such emotional detachment from everyone around him <laughs> i disagree <laughs> i disagree i disagree i disagree he is in my bottom two are you kidding me who else is in the bottom two? Um, Karamo. Yeah, Karamo. It's Karamo and it's me. No. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, this is the end of the podcast. Like, <laughs> because then I just can't find common ground. <laughs> right, anything. Um, so, American Psycho. This is my act- first time watching it, actually. Uh, which is crazy. Oh, I have thought it. about watching it many times, though. Boys <laughs> <laughs> been like, I should watch that movie. And I feel like only recently I realized that it was directed by Mary Heron. That's Mary, like a lady. Uh, <laughs> and written by Mary Heron and her writing partner, Guinevere Turner. And they have worked together for 20 years and have another movie coming out this month called Charlie Says about Charlie Manson. Um, which is amazing. I mean, how often do you hear about like female creative partners who have been working together like that for so long? That'll be us when you read yeah. A Court of the Wizard Roses. <laughs> When I what? When you finish reading the book. That'll be us. Yeah. <laughs> then we can reconcile. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Mary Heron has, like, I think, like, three or four movies, like, feature films in her uh, filmography. But she has, like, said in interviews that being a mother, like, slowed her down, you know? And it's – especially because we're watching this uh, in comparison to a David Fincher movie who is, like, prolific, you know? Mm-hmm. And also a parent. It's like, mm-hmm. hmm – pretty fucked up yeah that she i i saw that too i like looked it up and i saw like a a few other titles she'd made but i haven't recognized any of them yeah this is definitely her most celebrated film yeah right um and i think this movie what i was most struck by was how terrible this movie could have been in the hands of one of the other directors who was gonna uh be involved with it i know right wow Wow, wow, wow. Like, yep. Like, mm-hmm. and it also had Leonardo DiCaprio attached. And I feel like Christian Bale is so perfect in this role because mm-hmm. he leans in 100% to mm-hmm. 
you know, how how detached and psychotic Patrick is. Yeah. He's not like pulling any punches. He's not like secretly there's a there's a man inside, you know, there's a yeah. good guy. Yeah. He's just like committed. Yeah. I feel like I did. I mean, before I read that it was going to be Leo or, or mm-hmm. that like they considered him, I did while I was watching this time think, oh, this reminds me of Leo and Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, just not a good movie, but Anyway. Yeah, Ewan McGregor um, was also considered, and he is just too sweet no. of a man. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's funny, nice try. Like Christian Bale was my—I mean, in our last intro episode, I did say that Christian Bale is one of my celeb crushes. I'm pretty sure he's an amazing actor. Like, there's very few male actors that I'm like always down to watch. Yeah, um, and I consider their like range of work really interesting. And Christian mm-hmm. Bale is one of them. Yeah. I particularly like that he's the type of guy who's obviously like naturally a beautiful beautiful like mm-hmm. person but mm-hmm. that he like o- often like seeks out roles that where he will look like you know like change alter his his body and his face mm-hmm. a lot like in yeah. american hustle um yeah. and in veep or mm-hmm. vice whoops um <laughs> but um so one thing i that immediately stuck out to me about this movie is how obsessed they are i guess not with food but with meals or like restaurants mm-hmm. the opening intro um is first you think it's blood and then you kind of realize it's like a jelly it's like a garnish mm-hmm. um which is really interesting and throughout the film the men use like uh reservations at restaurants as like a status symbol which is mm-hmm. interesting to me i wrote this in our notes because um my kind of take on it is that it's about consumption that has nothing to do with need or nutrition and it's purely a status symbol to show how far removed these characters are from regular people and you pointed out that um one of I think, Bateman's yeah. friends, let the, I think at the very last scene, says mm-hmm. that he wants to make a reservation. He's, he's like, I'm not even hungry, but I have to make a reservation somewhere. Yeah. It just is, like, disgusting almost. It reminded me of, like, a Roman vomitorium mm-hmm. that these men, like, eat so much, you know, and they go out for, like, every meal. Like, don't yeah. you know how to, like, uh, like feed yourself, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe not. a sandwich at home. I well, know. Even, like, he at one point offers his secretary i think that he invites over mm-hmm. he offers her like sherbert and she's yeah. like sure and he's like i don't want any <laughs> it's like a prop it's like all he has in his fridge too other than a head yeah um and so uh christian bill also said or i think mary heron said this in an interview i don't think it came directly from bale that he based his performance on tom cruise because tom cruise's like smile doesn't go all the way to his eyes that's so like, funny Dang, has Tom Cruise and Christian Bale ever worked together on a movie after he said that? Because that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, but... I mean, I agree. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. (laughs) But, ouch. Um, God, yeah. Uh, The scene... I found him his scariest, the scene where he has sex with the two sex workers and is, like, staring at himself. That was, like, viscerally uncomfortable to watch. Like, him, like, like basically, like, vamping in the mirror while he has sex with those women. I thought... The scariest part was the scene with the sex worker that returns from the first night and oh, yeah. um, the his like Christy. ex-girlfriend. Yeah. That was the scariest part. For and she runs down the staircase and he throws yeah. the um, chainsaw at her. Yeah. yeah and um, a critic we've actually read uh, quite a few articles from on Chicklets before, Angelica Jade Bastian, mm-hmm. um, wrote a piece for Village Voice in 2016 
where she talks about the female gaze in the movie. And again, like a contested term, you know, mm-hmm. that can mean a lot of different things. But she points out that um, the how Mary Heron shoots the film like does have you kind of like consider and identify with like the sex workers that he, you know, um, like uses throughout the film and abuses. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also thought it was really interesting. She says the female gaze is notably concerned with the sort of details that often exist outside of the frame in other films. It's interested. It's interested in behavior. You can see it in Bale's improvised moonwalk before Bateman plants an ax in the skull of Paul Allen or Bateman washing his gloved hands after a coworker confuses a frailed act of violence, a failed act of violence for a sexual come on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was just interesting that she pointed out like these two kind of weird uh, idiosyncratic moments are the female th- gaze. Yeah, I thought that was weird too, but thinking about it now, at least the like, there are two moments that are sort of humili- humiliating to like mm. a mask like masculinity i guess you could say Mm -hmm. which makes me feel like maybe a like male director wouldn't have necessarily included it but Mm -hmm. i think what i first thought of when i thought if we're applying like the term female gaze this movie is like the way the sex workers look at Mm. patrick bateman because they he they're they think he's like this huge like loser you can tell it like on their face he's just go mm-hmm. he does this thing where he just go it's he's like reading a wikipedia entry for like famous like uh, uh, like pop singers or oh my god yeah whatever and and it's you they're the looks on their faces are just like the sex workers faces are just great because yeah like this guy's a fucking loser and then obviously they're afraid of him when mm-hmm. they realize he's violent. But and I I just loved that they that Mary showed them look at each other like what the hell yeah <laughs> yeah for sure um, and she does keep a lot of the violence off screen um, and it's kind of more about like repercussions of violence yeah. or you know like the after effects of violence yeah. um, most notably like we don't see him like physically abuse the sex workers in the mm-hmm. very first sex scene you mm-hmm. just see them leave the apartment later yeah kind of like in a hurry like bleeding and stuff yeah. and it's like that we that's all we really need to see to understand what happened you know yeah um but yeah and he he treats like all the women around him like super poorly and it's right. funny to also compare how his co-workers and friends talk about women mm-hmm. is he's no different than any of them, you know, like you could conceivably that all of them are going home and doing stuff like this. Their, his behavior is really no different. Um, right. And that's another like aspect of the film is that they're all just carbon copies of each other. Yeah. They get confused for each other constantly. They get confused for each other constantly. They all have the same clothes. They all have the same Mm -hmm. hair, glasses, business cards, whatever. So do you think that he is an unreliable narrator and he's not doing all of these terrible things? Or that he is simply truly escaping punishment. I don't know. I still, I like, I've thought about it so much and I honestly don't know. I do think it's unreliable narration in both this and Gone Girl. Yeah. But it's, I don't think I know what's true and what's not. Ian thinks, I talked about it with him, he thinks that it didn't, none of it happened. But I think it, do, it did happen. What do you The think? biggest tell, I guess, is the apartment. He goes back to the he killed his coworker Jared Leto. Uh, he goes back to his apartment where he's been like keeping bodies, and mm-hmm. it's painted over. It's ready to be sold. 
Um, so that to me seemed like the biggest break with reality. Mm-hmm. But again, like it's also kind of the ending of the film is basically saying that he's immune to punishment, mm-hmm. which I think is speaking to like his privilege and mm-hmm. how ensconced he is in this society mm-hmm. that will protect him no matter what, even when he wants to confess to his uh, like bloodlust. Uh, so I, it, it could it could be either way, you know. Yeah, con- convincingly. Yeah, because he that ha- he goes back to that apartment after he calls his lawyer. So I was thinking, oh, did his lawyer like hire a team of people to clean this apartment? And like, because the real estate agent like treats him really standoffishly and is like, you can never come back here again. Like, don't ever come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then I think also just he's there and being weird too. Yeah. yeah, I know. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and the the scene where he. tries to stick a cat into the atm machine yeah fails uh you know it definitely seems like a break from reality and that he like shoots yeah. at a cop car you know yeah. like and is like running all around yeah. and i mean if it's a movie about a man fantasizing about violence against all these different women mm-hmm. and people in his life it's still just as scary you know it's like um just as like concerning uh yeah uh god you know um it's I my favorite scene was um I like laughed out loud at the business card scene yeah because so Christian Bale plays it like so seriously like yeah. he's looking at his coworkers business card they're all comparing them and he's like shaking like you yeah. see his hand like his it's like his face his eyes are like it's it's like he's like in a daze it's crazy the look in his eyes is like he's like disassociating yeah like, it's insane I want if I can get a screenshot of it I'll post it to Instagram because it's like. He's sweating, too. He looks waxy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mary Heron uh, talked to the New York Times about that scene, and she said um, that she liked that the script was a great parody of masculinity. It's a send-up. It was accused of being sexist, but to me, it was always an attack and satire of sexism and male ego, and I think this scene is a perfect example of it. And one of the cool behind-the-scenes things she mentions in this um, piece is that they used the sound effect of swords being unsheathed when the men hit each other their business card. Yeah. It's like, what dorks? <laughs> <laughs> this is like a really stacked cast, too. Like, everyone I recognized, right? Um, kind of. I don't know. I'm worse at that, though. Have so. you watched Silicon Valley? Uh, yeah. The, like, Parts uh, of it. Steve Jobs slash, like, Mark Zuckerberg, like, villain is mm-hmm. in this as the character that uh, thinks Patrick's hate, uh, hitting on him. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that guy. Um, oh, yeah, and, like, Reese Witherspoon. And, um, Justin Theroux. Yeah. Uh, Isn't it scary that they're 26? I know. He's 27. I was like, ah! well, 27. I was 27. Like, still, still, still. Same. Like, whatever. <laughs> I know. I was like, what the fuck? I was In like, that big apartment? I know. Jesus. I thought when the one sex worker was like, I like this apartment better than your other one. I was yeah. like, I like his white one. Yeah. <laughs> Is that bad? Does that make me a sociopath? No. A psychopath? I like the white one better, too. Yeah. Uh, it's his weird compulsion to talk about music. It's almost like the food thing where it's like he talks about music with total remove from like what music does for most people, which is like mm-hmm. it's an emotional catharsis to like listen yeah. to music, mm-hmm. you know, or the same way that food is for nutrition and like feeding yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's like, just, like a, yeah, it's like him trying to be human. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like a mask he puts on. He's like, yeah. this is what humans do. They like music Talk and about they music. eat food. Meanwhile, like if he like didn't care about putting on like. Uh, like he says one, at one point, he's like, I just want to fit in. He says that yeah. to his fiance. And it's like, 
If he was just being like himself, he'd probably be eating those like meal. He'd probably be like just drinking meal replacement stuff. And, yeah, like, yeah. Who knows? It's just like I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think this is such a like. Uh, apparently, the movie got a lot of uh, protests from like feminist groups when it first came mm-hmm. out, which is so interesting to me too, mm-hmm. because certainly I don't think I would be interested in reading the book it was based on, mm-hmm. you know, or like being alongside Patrick and his internal thoughts for yeah. a whole book. And I could see, like, the description of this, how you would be like, this is misogynistic. Mm -hmm. But I think because Mary Heron and Guinevere Guinevere Turner were, like, at the helm, Mm -hmm. like, they were able to make it into, like, this satire that was really just poking fun at the entire, you know, macho 80s businessman. 100%. And there's a line from uh, Angelica Jade Bastion's um, Mm -hmm. review where she says... Heron, Turner, and Bale rightfully see Bateman as pathetic. Just look at the sheen of sweat on his face in the film's most iconic scene when he rages internally at other men for having better business cards than him, or how he treats women from his fiancée, Evelyn, all the way down to the older Asian women at the cleaners. He's the worst aspects of the male id, overfed on a steady diet of money entitlement and the lie of the American dream. Like, I think Heron, Turner, and Bale, like this, mm. like she says, do a really good job of making this character pathetic. He, exactly. And it's it's you can see it in the sex workers' faces. Like I said before, he's just not. He's he's pitiable. Like yeah. he's obviously a violent, terrible, terrible, terrible person and mm-hmm. disgusting. But you're like, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing heroic about him for sure. No. And you could see how another director would want to make this character an antihero. Yeah, definitely. Or humanize him in some way that he doesn't deserve. Yeah. Like, I think some things we talk about when we're talking about, like, uh, like David Fincher, for example, in, my, like, Mindhunter or whatever, mm-hmm. where we're like, are we supposed to? Or, like, the... Yeah, it's unclear. It's ambiguous. We're, we're like, are we supposed to think this guy is, like, good or bad? But this one, we're just like, this guy's a fucking loser. Yeah, exactly. And, like, there's no question. Like, he's just... He's pathetic, and he's just, like, he, like, I don't know, a psycho. He's a psycho. I guess we have to be careful about how we use that term, though. But it's the title of the film, so. Yeah. I'm getting away with it this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I'm happy I watched it. I don't think I would want to watch this movie again, though. You know, like, Mm -hmm. another interesting comparison to Gone Girl and David Fincher is, Mary Heron is also incredibly stylish with how mm-hmm. she shoots this movie. Like, I feel like it's almost underrated in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, how stylish it is, how the scenes of all these men sitting together in their identical suits and haircuts, mm-hmm. you know, to Patrick's apartment, which is, like, white and pristine, mm-hmm. to the shots of, you know, Bale covered in blood. It's mm-hmm. all very, very stylish, you know, and um, mm-hmm. really well thought out. I would love to see her movie on Charles Manson that's coming out because... Mm-hmm. All the interviews I read with her, she was talking about how basically, like, all these people, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, make movies where they focus on Charles Manson, and she's interested, like, the movie is about, like, his followers and, like, the yeah. young women who get wrapped up in his life, yeah. which is, you know, great, and, like, certainly mm-hmm. more um, unique and a perspective than Quentin Tarantino making a movie about a murderer, again, for, yeah. like, the fifth time or whatever. And um, it's like, we've never really heard that side of the story, I feel like. So many movies are made about, or, like there's so much media around Charles Manson but how much is there um yeah 
I haven't read yeah. that book. Yeah. The, the oh, you should. You should. I can bring it to you. It's it's good. Don't. don't it's worth reading. Don't, don't pack it. I'll download it for free. Download it for free. <laughs> God, I'm a bad person. We'll cut that. <laughs> Police. <laughs> uh, do you want to wrap it up? You have anything else to say? Oh, um, this one star review is pretty funny. Oh, okay. It's just this one line. This person said, the scariest part of the film is the close-up of a Phil Collins CD cover. <laughs> to say the movie isn't scary. It's like, okay. It's scary. I think. It is scary. It's very scary. It's very tense to watch. Yeah. He kills a woman with a fucking chainsaw. Yeah. He almost kills his secretary. Like, he... I think that's... <laughs> if anything, that part is the most real. Like, or yeah. he almost, That's like... If he hasn't, if he didn't kill anyone, that was the closest he came. Yeah, for sure. Very sad and creepy. When he comments on her clothing, I was like, fuck you. I know. Especially him being 27. I was like, dude. I know. And and a boy. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. If a woman said that to me, I'd be like, oh my God, you're right. I'm a failure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a potato sack. Mackenzie, what is your final thoughts? You should go. You go first because I always go first, and then you like rate it. I copy you. Yeah. So Uh, okay, I'm gonna give this a seven. I really enjoyed it. I am so happy that this was my introduction to Mary Heron, and I can't wait to. I've actually seen her other movie. Um, I shot Andy Warhol in like Mm. an art class once, uh, which is about this this feminist uh, activist who wrote the Scum Manifesto. who shot Andy Warhol. So she made a movie about that before, uh, American Psycho. And, um, I just really like her. I'm very interested in her perspective and like that. She's making movies about kind of these people with like weird delusions of grandeur and like, uh, you know, characters like Patrick Bateman. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was an interesting movie that she made her mark on so absolutely that most people think that this is like a lot better than the book it's based on mm-hmm. and yeah. a huge improvement. Yeah. Um, which is another thing that's, she has in common with David Fincher, I guess, is that a lot of people think the fight club movie is way better than the fight club. Book. I wonder if um, anyone feels that way about gun girl. Yeah. Not me, but I think my, my, uh, final thoughts are, echo yours i mean it's it's i i could see myself wanting to watch this again in a long time just because it is so smart and stylish Mm -hmm. um but certainly not anytime soon just because it is deeply disturbing um but it's also funny we didn't really talk about that but it's 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 funny also um i'm gonna also rate it a seven for those reasons Mm-hmm. And before we get into Gone Girl, I do think it's kind of interesting. I want to point out that American Psycho, the book was written by a man and adapted into a movie by a woman. And Gone Girl was written by Jillian Flynn, a woman, and adapted into a movie by a man. Uh, it's also rare that we're able to, you know, kind of like talk about and appreciate uh, a very famous movie by a woman. So, Yeah. <laughs> So that leads us to Gone Girl, based on a best-selling novel by Gillian Flynn and adapted by ya boy David Fincher. Gone Girl tells the story of the marriage of Nick and Amy Dunn. When Amy is seemingly 
abducted, Nick must piece together what happened to his wife or become the central suspect in her disappearance. As Nick fights to maintain his innocence, the audience and he both realize that his wife and his marriage are not what they seem. Amy, plays by, played by Rosamund Pike, is a conniving sociopath who has devised her own abduction to punish Nick for his infidelity and shortcomings. We saw this movie together. Oh, my God. Do you remember? No. Yeah. I have we saw like it with a Heather. shit memory. Oh, my God. We saw oh, wait. Yes, I do remember. We saw it in the Morristown together. Yeah, yeah. I and remember. we, I remember oh God, coming home and we were all like, oh, my God. We had all read the book, I think, but we were still like, oh, what yeah. wait did we see it together yeah yes yeah we did we did possibly with e i feel like ian was there maybe wait i have a memory of you talking about seeing it with ian and you were both like holy crap <laughs> oh yeah because ian was like disturbed about it he was like it, he was, it is like, disturbing yeah he was like upset it's i love this movie because first of all david fincher he can't be denied okay he's like we've talked about in our david fincher episode he's one of those guys who he's just too good to ignore you know you could write him off and say he's just a bro director but he he does what he does well um you know and this movie again is so stylish and so david finchery mm-hmm. you know i thought the most david finchery shot was people searching for amy with their flashlights through the dark woods you know and mm-hmm. the trent reznor score and it just puts you in this place um but it's I, like it's very like watchable it's a very like yeah block. it totally it's like it's a blockbuster it's like and you could re- it's and maybe unlike american psycho it's pretty rewatchable for sure and it has the salacious elements of true crime too which mm-hmm. we're into which mm-hmm. most like everyone is you know yeah. where you get plugged in and try to piece together this story uh, and mm-hmm. figure out what happens um mm-hmm. i love amy as a character i think she is one of cinema's greatest villains yeah. female, like villainesses yeah. um uh you know she i saw this tweet just a few days ago where the author was asking for movies about female geniuses and a lot of people said gone girl and i was like yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny that like speaking of villains i guess i mm. like a lot are geniuses a lot of people when this movie came out thought that it was misogynistic um mm-hmm. which kind of reminds me of like the way that people first viewed or a, a lot some people thought mm-hmm. of american psycho um and i think it's because like i think it's because pe- like amy is a villain and mm-hmm. they kind of are like that's misogynistic but I don't or think- like amy like lies about rape but yeah. to me this shows that the only people who lie about rape are fucking psychopaths yeah you know and evil you know so it's like it's not like an everyday occurrence it's not like it's normalized yeah Yeah, they're villains it's not normalized women can be villains too exactly and uh, the the thing that would make this movie a lot different and misogynistic in my opinion is that it's fleshed out with a multitude of like really interesting women characters besides Mm -hmm. amy yeah Uh, we have carrie coon as nick's twin sister Mm -hmm. who's great in this we have Mm -hmm. kim dickens as the detective Mm -hmm. who i love in this movie i love Um, her she's such a great performance i also love Um, her like i love her partner the like patrick fugit yeah yeah he's he's so so derpy and so so cute cute. he's so cute oh my god i love uh, he hates ben affleck yeah me too Uh, and then I also love Lola Kirk as the one of the people who rob Amy, you know, um, mm-hmm. who's not perfect, but uh, still like a really fun performance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like there's there's other women in this movie to look for that aren't 
a sociopath, you know, yes, it's not like a wide variety, a wide variety. And it's, it's not, yeah, it, which is it's not like, true to life. <laughs> exactly. A wide variety of women are, exist. <laughs> and this, I believe is Ben Affleck's opus. Like, will he ever get a role this good ever again? No. And so fitted to him. No, honestly, his opus was probably a disagree. Batman? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Which uh, Batman uh, is my le- most hated movie. That yeah. Ben Affleck Batman v Superman is my most. I almost walked it, out of the theater. Anyway, you should watch it. Tangent. <laughs> I don't think it can. To be, no, no, I can't either. It's so bad. It's the uh, movie ever. I think his cameo in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, our call the movie. To last- <laughs> Wow, what an Easter egg. We didn't even really clue to pick together that we were watching this next week. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not a great actor, but he does well in this because it plays into like these ideas that we have about him kind of as an actor. Yeah. And I love the story that David Fincher apparently cast him based on the scene where he inappropriately smiles at uh, Amy's like memorial service kind yeah. of or whatever, candlelight press, service. Press uh, conference for yeah. to call. Yeah. yeah, where he like Googled pictures of Ben Affleck and was like, perfect. He'll be like, because <laughs> he's like, kind of comes off as like a douche in real life. Yeah, right? he does one hundred percent come off as a douche, yeah. uh, and like also like this kind of like ooh, like dude who you know he broke Jennifer Garner's sweet, beautiful, innocent yeah. heart. You know, like you're just like you just believe it. You know, it's not yeah. a stretch <laughs> in this role. It's really perfect for him. And something mm. that's in the book that could not have been cast better in Ben Affleck is. Amy says that he has a supervillain chin, mm-hmm. uh, and when he's being genuine, he covers it up yeah. to show her, like, I'm being serious, and it's yeah. funny he went on to be Batman, because Batman is all chin, you yeah. know, and a hero. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. And uh, so this, the book and the movie are both famous for this one monologue Amy gives. Um, so I guess maybe we should talk about the, the twist is that Amy is, like, alive the whole time, yeah. and is, like, the architect of her own disappearance. And the perspective is done really well in the book because you go from Nick's perspective for half of the book, wondering where the fuck Amy is. And then you also get Amy's diary entries, but it's turned out that she has been manipulating the diary entries from the beginning of the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the movie, in the book, she gives this speech called the cool girl speech, where she basically talks about how women like train themselves to be appealing to men, even when it, they don't like enjoy or appreciate the things uh, that they're like pantomiming basically to be desirable mm-hmm. um she says men always say th- of cool girls she said men always say that as the defining compliment don't they she's a cool girl being the cool girl means i am hot brilliant funny woman who adores football poker dirty jokes burping who plays video games drinks cheap beer loves threesomes and anal sex and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gangbang while somehow maintaining a size too because cool girls are above all hot hot and understanding cool girls never get angry they only smile in a chagrined loving manner and let their men do whatever they want go ahead shit on me i don't mind i'm the cool girl this was big when it was like yeah well it was like when i i loved this part of the book like so Mm -hmm. much because i felt like very seen and it was the first time i had like heard someone put this into words yeah it's like you just i i i remember this like mostly from high school this feeling of just like wanting to be literally that like the cool girl to be like i'm down like yeah which is what she i like says. the things you like you know yeah. i laugh at your dumb jokes yeah, yeah. exactly um 
And like in the in the movie, she says it a, a little bit differently. Possibly, she's like, yeah, she's like, I'm fucking down, and that's like, I yeah. feel like that was like a high school mantra, just to be like, yeah. I'm so uncomfortable, but whatever, I'm just like gonna do it because I want to be cool or whatever. Again, a tie into Buffy's Fire Slayer. It's like when Buffy's like, I am like other girls, you know. Yeah. It's like the idea that uh, there could that it could ever be a compliment that you're not like other girls, you yeah, know. Um, right. It's like meet some more girls. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But it's tough because like Amy has many admirable, borderline heroic <laughs> perspective, like, or you know, like this is like a heroic speech. Yeah, gives, you know, it truly and, like, is. Nick is a bad husband, you know? And yes, she punishes him uh, disproportionately uh, (laughs) and kills somebody. But, you know, like, she's an antihero, I think. uh, Because I don't know so much in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, But I can't help but, like, enjoy her, you know? Yeah. I feel like in the book, they they succeeded more in making her they. She, Mm -hmm. Gillian Flynn, (laughs) succeeded in making Amy more... More believable as a human being in the world. Yeah. And and should I read this BuzzFeed quote? So should I just read the whole thing? Yeah. This is by Anne Helen Peterson. Okay. It says, Amy needs to be cool. She needs to be that unbelievable mix of charisma and chill and to give zero fucks and be all the hotter for it. It's Kate. Olivia Wilde in Drinking Buddies meets Jamie, Mila Kunis in Friends with Benefits, to the every public appearance of Jennifer Lawrence Power. And while first, I know, I was like, ooh, burn. (laughs) And true, 100% true. And while first half Amy might have been, might have that body and that beauty, she doesn't have that ineffable something, that irresistible gravity, that indelible sense of cool girl. Without that contrast, and by extension, the understanding that Amy was motivated by her frustration with the impossible expectations of perfect femininity, Amy Mm -hmm. comes off as a one-dimensional sociopath, the woman with the box cutter and the bloody body of a man who loved her, a a caricature, a piece of high camp, a crazy fucking bitch. And so the sublimated ideological critique of the book disappears, replaced by that pat narrative logic of the film noir with a fumbling, rather stupid, yet ultimately victimized male at its core. Mm-hmm. And I do kind of agree that at the end, the film fails a little bit because it does have you sympathizing a little bit with Nick. More, like, I want them to be equally evil. I want yes, at the yes. end. They deserve each other. That's like yes. how you're supposed to feel at the end is like yes. they deserve each other. Yes. And at the end, Nick says he leans over on the couch to Amy mm. as they're being interviewed for this TV segment and he says we're partners in crime but he means it to the world as like this cute thing yeah. but to Amy he means it and to us he means something different that they're like equally they've made, yeah they're like as, even they've, they've um they're complicit yes. in each other's like yes. badness yeah 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 but I feel like the movie doesn't do as good a job as the book is for sure off yeah. Because you're you're almost like you can't understand how I love Rosamund Pike in this character, mm-hmm. but she's almost like an alien, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, why was she ever like uh, someone he enjoyed or like, mm-hmm. you know, she seems so calculating and so mm-hmm. cold. Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon originally, uh, she bought the rights to this movie and attached herself to play Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, they would have been good for different reasons, but I think mm-hmm. Reese can kind of do that bubbly, like, you know, yeah. um, kind of 
every woman, you know, like peppy mm-hmm. mom thing a bit better. Yeah. Um, that would have been scarier to kind of see her flip into sociopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still love Rosamund Pike in this. You know what's the most unrealistic mannish part of this movie <laughs> is that she fucking like loses a bunch of weight and like seemingly it's yeah. hard to tell how much time has passed because she's like blonde and she slims down so much and yeah. it's like wait wait not wait, wait, much wait. time passes like not I much think, time a week yeah it, it's weird i feel like she might be wearing padding while she's like in a i don't mm-hmm. think she like like amy like not the yeah. not rosamund pike obviously yeah. rosamund pike also but like yeah amy the character yeah. i think is has wearing padding yeah, it's it's very strange. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is great in this movie as well. The scene where Amy kills him is shot like a monster movie almost. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Like, to see her coated in blood like that. How many mm-hmm. times have you seen a woman not coated in her own blood? Yeah. In someone else's blood? Yeah. I feel like uh, Desi, Neil uh, Patrick Harris's character, is the, he reminds me of Patrick Bateman almost. He has this mm. part. He has like a like a part where he's just like waxing poetic about some like famous like classical music or whatever and amy even says at one point to sort of like make him feel big she's like of course i like you better than nick you're interesting you have all these interests you like proust like yeah like and i'm just like it's like uh, he eats it up he laps it up and he's just like comes off as stupid and pathetic and like a crazy person like Mm -hmm. Patrick Bateman. Yeah, I mean, he's also very dissolute. Like, he's just totally under her, in her thrall. Uh, Yeah. You know, she's been playing him for years. Yeah, but I also think that he is like crazy too. Like, I think, like, he obviously tries to like lock her up in the house. So, Mm -hmm. although Amy probably shouldn't have killed him she was like it was a little bit self-defense it was a little bit self-defense <laughs> oh, it's a stretch it's a li- i mean you know <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 for sure i love the scene where uh she's at the hospital and people are like oh my god amy you're so brave how did you get out and the the detective is like uh, yeah. i have a few questions yeah. and everyone's like what shut up you evil mean woman you know yeah <laughs> she's uh, like just poking you- like holes in all of Amy's explanations and they're like she's too fragile to talk about see it takes a woman to notice another woman's bullshit yeah to catch it you know yeah going back to um Amy like covered in blood after she kills uh, Neil Patrick Harris's Desi um when there's like extremely like parallel I feel like moments between Mm. that and when Patrick Bateman acts as Jared Leto's character um, when um, they're both coated in blood and their faces are both distorted with I think like on Amy's side it's like disgust she I don't and not Mm. on not about the act that she committed I think I think it's that she's like covered in blood she's like ew yeah I don't want to be covered in blood Mm. (laughs) at least that's how I read it and then for and with that white and that and that she like had sex with him i don't think she wanted to do that i think it was like she was just like unnecessary yeah and in on patrick bateman's side he his face is like contorted with like rage and like bloodlust and and like in like a blink they their faces go emotionless it's like yeah and like 
Yeah, you're right. I hope I could find. Uh, maybe I'll like try and find those two parts and like put them on Instagram or something because it's yeah like cool. That Who would win so... in a in a fight, Patrick or Amy? I think my answer is Amy because she doesn't have to resort to violence. Like she can outmaneuver yeah. him with her brain. <laughs> she <would> outwit him. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, because he's so stupid. Like probably yeah, he's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amy is like galaxy brain. <laughs> She's thinking of all the things she needs to think about. Yeah. The book is really good, uh, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, kind of launched a whole literary genre of girl-related yeah. things. This was her. the first one. <laughs> this was the OG uh, girl book. Uh, and the best, I think. I haven't yeah. read many others. but I, read I think this is the train. best of Gillian Flynn's okay. work, too. Her opus. I haven't read any other of her books, but... They're not that great. Like, I, Sharp Objects wasn't that great, and she wrote another book. Uh, a movie came out starring Nicholas Holt and Charlize Theron, but I feel like it went straight to video or something. Like, it did not have a big release. I know. And that's called Dark... Ob- Dark no, Dark Objects? No. Dark it's places. called Dark, Dark Places, yeah. Um, and that's, like, twisty as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that she and David Fincher have kind of developed a partnership, and they're going to do Strangers on a Train together. Oh, cool. Uh, adapting. Like, they're going to, like, continue adapting things together, which I really, really like. Because I think yeah. David Fincher, 1,000%, is such an amazing stylist, but he mm-hmm. could use a Gillian Flynn to be like, here are my ideas, you know? And Yeah. It is interesting that this is called sexist, uh, and that I think Gillian Flynn has said that people told her all the time that it's, like, anti-feminist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> men got to write these novels about men. No one yeah. says anything to them. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say before we wrap it up, this um, there's an interesting article in the New Yorker called "What Gone Girl Is Really About," and kind of puts it in context of like other David Fincher works. He it's by Joshua Rothman. This article, he says that in some ways with Gone Girl, Fincher has returned to the structures of Fight Club, substituting a married couple for Tyler Durden and his gaggle of disenchanted bros. In both stories, the characters rebel against the unbearable myth of attainable perfection, substituting it for an alternative one of transcendent, authentic, freedom-giving destruction. Uh, Durden's response to this, his disillusionment with contemporary masculinity is to embrace a seductive, violent, and supposedly more genuine idea of real manliness. But that alternative turns out to be a disastrous illusion. In Gone Girl, it's the mythos of coupledom, not the mythos of masculinity that's oppressive. But the imagined solution is the same. We're so cute, I want to punch us in the face, Amy says. It's a neat comparison. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's like, I don't think I've thought about it in necessarily, like, other watchings mm-hmm. of this film but that like coupledom is the true like evil. facade almost yeah. yeah like kind of the true big bad if we're gonna use buffy terminology we should just do that in every episode yeah we should we should <laughs> uh, um yeah i thought that was a really really interesting comparison and it's interesting to think of david fincher's works in that context uh together yeah and his like evolution as a filmmaker i feel Mm -hmm. like he has grown a lot hey proud of you david yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's a big boy um (laughs) so this is your favorite david venture movie you know i don't know i really like girl with a dragon tattoo too yeah i think we've had this exact same conversation probably hey new mindhunter in august we'll have to check in yeah We'll do a chiclet, maybe, or something. Uh, yep. Holden, Holden. <laughs> uh, what are your... I couldn't find any good one-star reviews of this movie, by the way, because people 
didn't have interesting thing reasons to hate it. Okay. <laughs> or funny reasons to hate it. I do remember being like, I, I was, it was so David Fincher that I was a little like, this was kind of predictable. When I first saw it, that's that was yeah, my feeling. That's true. I, I was like, you saying that. I I was like, this is too similar to, I don't know, his other stuff. Yeah, and it's I true. still do kind of think that it's it's like, it wasn't. It was very like Social Network, like yeah, the music, the yeah. the cinematography. He's kind of like using the same bag of tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're good tricks. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I was I just wanted a little little a surprise you know i think reese witherspoon would have been a very discordant like Mm -hmm. addition to it like to in a good way to his style you know Um, it's hard to imagine her being her like mommy blogger energy you know yeah yeah that That would have been really different yeah and like yeah i feel like she's more she's so comfortable in her femininity though that it's hard to picture her being amy the like who's like full of rage cool girl yeah like who's like trying to fit into this like like role i guess archetype yeah yeah for sure uh what are your what are your final thoughts and rating i guess we kind of did final thoughts um yeah i mean i yeah i like this movie um it like it is rewatchable mm-hmm I would rate it a 7-2. Why not? Hell yeah. I'm going to rate it an 8. I I love my boy. Adventure <laughs> again. He's too good to too good to ignore. <laughs> it will haunt me. Um yeah, and I think it's a great cast and a great adaptation of the book. Mhm. It would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on June 10th, and we will be discussing two revenge fantasy movies, John Wick and Revenge. ChickFlix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Creek Carlson for our music. Thanks for listening to ChickFlix. Bye.